Welcome to today's podcast from Coastline Calvary Chapel in Gulf Breeze, Florida. We hope this message encourages you and brings light into your life. Well, good morning, church. If you have a Bible, love to encourage you to grab it, open it up to Revelation chapter 1. As has been mentioned, we are going to be in this book for the next 13 months or so, but for this winter-spring series, it's still winter in Florida. Would you agree to that on a day like today? Yeah. It'll change by May, don't you think? May will be a little bit warmer. Well, we call that winter-spring, I guess, for us Northwest Floridians, but For that season, for that four months or so, we really anticipate being in Revelation chapters 1 through chapters 5 with this theme and this focus that Jesus loves church. How many of you guys had the opportunity either in person, online, or at a later time to listen to last Sunday's message? Let's see who really loves Jesus. No, no. Well, the reason I ask that is because um, last Sunday was kind of a standalone message as we began our Connect Group season, but the message was really on why the church. And it's such a, um, an apropos message for the beginning of this series. Um, over the last couple of weeks... I've been connecting with a lot of pastors from different areas in our country. Uh, some of these pastors I, I connect with on a monthly basis through Zoom. Many of them are stationed, if you want to call it that way, or identify it that way, in this other world called California. Are you familiar with that world? And um, they've been navigating a lot of challenges Over the last two years, the world has been navigating a lot of challenges over the last two years. But uh, for those pastors, their their churches, they said, you know, some of these guys have been doing ministry for 40 years, and they mentioned, I have never experienced anything like what I'm experiencing now. How the church just seems to, one of the pastors put it this way, it said, it seemed like in 2020, there were all these outside forces coming against the church and the, the congregation, the staff were banding together and we were navigating these cultural or whatever they are challenges. And he said, but honestly, in the last 16 months, it's like now it's come from within <laughs> and the church is fighting amongst themselves. And I'm not that smart, but if I knew my time was drawing near to an end and I was anti-God, anti-his agenda... I would seek to divide and conquer. If I were the enemy of God and his people, and I knew that I could not thwart their justification, as was just mentioned, I would do everything possible to destroy their sanctification, to destroy their impact. And a lot of these pastors were in a a space of grief, I guess you could say, given their lives to build a local church and then to see it over the last couple years just navigate so many challenges. My, my thought was, you know, Jesus loves the church. And the vehicle through which God often moves most powerfully and pointedly is his people, his people. When they're gathered and when they're scattered, That is God's plan to reach a world that is hurting and lost and blind, aimless and confused. 
is the spirit of God working through the people of God. And one of the greatest strengths in anything, be it a family or a community or a business or a church, is this word, solidarity. Jesus, we exist for you, not for our agenda, not for our perspective, not for our desires. The church belongs to you. The church belongs to you. And one of the great things about Revelation is that it shows us Jesus' love for his church. Why this theme? Why this title? Well, did you know that in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 25, Paul writes this. It's very apropos for the weekend, Valentine's Day weekend. This is what it says. Husbands, love your wives. Why? This is an example. This is in tandem. This is in falling in the same footsteps of who? Christ, who loved the church and gave his life for her. The church is what Jesus gave his life for. And the focus of these first few chapters of the book of Revelation, I really do believe, is his love for the church. You know, if you're a note taker, you may want to note this. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, we're given what many would call a divine outline of the book. Divine outline. John is told, the author of this book, in verse 19, write down what you have seen, the things that are happening now, and the things that will happen. And that is how the book of Revelation unfolds. Chapter 1, the things you've seen. Chapters 2 and 3, the things that are. Chapters 4 through 22, the things that will happen. And so, as we seek to walk through this book together, we will see the toughness and the tenderness of Jesus. His love revealed to the church. Revealed. That's an important word for you and I to remember. Does anyone know why? Pop quiz. Why is revealed important when studying the book of Revelation? Well, if you were to transliterate the word, that's, that's ultimately what it means. Revelation simply means an unveiling or a revealing. The transliter- transliterated word is apocalypse. You go, oh, no, that means the end of the world, right? It's it's unfortunate that Hollywood has taken that word and changed our interpretation of that word. Apocalypse literally means to uncover, reveal, or make manifest. Warren Wearsby, as you begin to navigate the book of Revelation with us, if you're a a reader or a learner, see, I'm not the best reader, but I like to be a learner, and I'm thankful for Audible. Anyone else familiar with Audible? Oh, yes, you're with me. That's great. Where you can listen to things being read. But Warren Wearsby on the book of Revelation says this, Revelation gives us the privilege of seeing the glorified Christ in heaven and the fulfillment of his sovereign purposes in the world. It shows us who Jesus is in all of his glory and it gives us insight into what he's doing. I like that. Shows me who he is and what he's doing. Okay, I get that. And this is what I like about this the most. Revelation is the open book. Remember those kind of tests when you were in school? 
for the five of us that finished school. Remember that? Where they're like, hey, this is an open book quiz. I love that. Okay. In which God reveals his plans and his purposes to us, the church. Revelation is primarily a revelation of Jesus Christ, not the revelation of future events. But I would say this, but it is also that. Does that make sense? The primary focus is Jesus. Pop quiz, what's the primary focus of Revelation? Yes. It reveals to you and I, that's who Jesus is. Isn't there a lot of confusion in our day of maybe who Jesus is? What his agenda is? Let me ask you this question. Is there a misconception sometimes of what it means that Jesus loves me? Because a lot of people would say, listen, what the church needs to be known for is just love. Let me say this in all humility. You cannot have genuine love without truth. Love without truth is a tremendous disservice to anyone you know. And as we navigate, well, what does it mean that Jesus loves the church? You're going to see over the next few chapters, sometimes love looks a little gnarly. Where Jesus says, if you don't change, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Like, wow, that's what love looks like? Part of it, yes. There is this dynamic where he reveals truth and calls to action. Does that mean that he loves us less? No, no, no. Hang with us as we navigate this series. But revelation reveals to you and I who Jesus is and what he's doing, but primarily who he is. See, one of our key values as a church is to learn the word of God so that we can what? It rhymes with MIV and starts with an L. To live the word of God. That's our value, to to learn so we can live. It's why we make available our, our daily in the word program. Not because we're bored, not because we're looking to push out more content, but I really do believe that the word of God is powerful, that the word of God is formative that the word of God is nutritional, that the word of God is necessary for your development, for your sanctification. And our value is to learn God's word so that we can live God's word. It's why we teach the Bible often through books expositionally. You've heard Pastor John say this before, the Bible, well, when reading it, you don't wanna approach it like you would some and any other way that you would have some other kind of reading. You don't hop into a text message midstream and go, oh, so that's what they want me to do, out of context. You want to read it in context. And here, in Revelation, as we learn this book, here are some of the things that we're going to learn. The book of Revelation is given to prepare us, not to scare us. God doesn't seek to conceal things from us, but to reveal them to us. That's what the book of Revelation shows us. Revelation, as we navigate this book together, will show unto us that prophecy isn't given to overstimulate our minds, but to motivate our hearts and hands to worship. And Revelation, please pay attention to this, as many of us navigate loss, setback, Disappointment. Revelation brings sense to the suffering we experience. And knowing this, God is not done. 
The world is not as it should be. But listen to me. Hear me on this. One day, everything will be made right. And the book of Revelation brings sense to our suffering. In Revelation, we are given a fuller, greater awareness, revealing exposure to Jesus. He is the one who's primarily revealed to us in this book. And so this morning, we're going to be reminded of how wonderful and how full of awe God is and the reality that Jesus is coming soon. Is anyone excited about that truth? Jesus is coming soon. Well, let's jump into verses 1 through 8 of chapter 1. I'm going to be reading and teaching from the New Living Translation, but let me pray, and then we're going to jump into the first three verses of Revelation chapter 1. If you're ready, let me know by saying, Jesus loves church. church. Father, I thank you for that truth, that your son was given to us to take our place, to die our death so we could live his life. And Father, I ask and pray in humility that you would give us the ability to listen and learn from your word so that we can live and live well by your spirit. Lord, I ask for your help, your your assistance to just serve your people well in teaching and explaining these verses this morning accurately, appropriately, rightly, and in a way that's helpful. Lord, may we leave this place this morning more in love with you, not with minds that are overstimulated, but with hearts and hands that are motivated to love you and love people, to worship you with every fiber of our being, and to be those that are given over to you because we love you. Pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, chapter 1, book of Revelation, coming from the New Living Translation, this is what it says. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. And this is the report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. Oh, I like that. I'm going to get a blessing just by reading this. And he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. Revelation opens with this understanding that God is unveiling who Jesus is in his glory to John. Listen, this is a new thing if you've read through the New Testament. As we read through the Gospels, we see Jesus in humility as a servant, as one who's the sacrifice for our sin. In Revelation, we are shown, revealed, Jesus, not as the suffering servant, but in his glory. God is revealing the events that must soon take place to John with a tremendous promise. What is that promise? Well, let's look at these three verses 
as they reinforce at least two lessons that I want to share this morning. Here's the first lesson. We'll put it up on the screen. God loves people. He loves to save people. He loves to grow people. And he loves to lead people to enjoy fruitful lives. Let me say that again. God loves people. Are there any people in the room? God loves you. What does that mean? He loves to save you, give you life. Well, what should life look like? A life that begins to grow, to grow, to not have to live life on loop, but to see it begin to bear fruit. That's God's desire in his love for you. He loves people, loves to save people, loves to grow people, and loves to lead people to enjoy fruitful lives. So where do you get that from this text? God used the Apostle John as a New Testament author in powerful ways. Warren Wearsby gives insight into that. Now, I took a screenshot of some of his content, and I want to put it up for you up on the screen. John, the author of this New Testament book, authored other books in the New Testament. The Gospel of John, the theme and the focus is that we would believe in Jesus. And Wearsby quotes John chapter 20, verse 31. Let me read it to you. This is what John writes. These are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. The intent and the focus of the gospel of John is that you would believe and receive salvation. And you see Jesus functioning, as he says here in this little text, the prophet, the Messiah, the one who's come. Well, then John also wrote three letters. They're easy to remember. You know how? First John, second John, third John. Aren't those? I love how simple that is. Well, here's what these tell us. These are called epistles. And in the epistles, it's not necessarily to believe, but to be sure, to be sure. 1 John 5.13 says this, I have written this to you who believe in the name of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. If you're someone who says, listen, I've received, but I navigate this, this challenge where the enemy constantly throws my sin in my face, or I know that I struggle, how can I be sure that I belong to Jesus? Read 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Read those books. That's the point of them. Well, what? That life is not necessarily received, but revealed through this process of sanctification. And you begin to know Jesus as that priest, one who ministers to you. And now the book that we're in, Revelation. Believe, be sure, be ready. Revelation 22.20 says, he who is the faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon, amen, come Lord Jesus. Life received, life revealed, life rewarded. We see the sovereignty of God and here's what we see in this last book of the New Testament. Kanye got it right, Jesus is king, right? That's what it is. He may have got a lot of other things wrong, but he got that right. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Prophet, priest, and king. I won't go into the dynamics of all the Old Testament nuances of that. Jesus is the only one that fulfills all three offices. John shows us that through his writings. 
Say, why are you saying this? What's the point of this? How does this relate to that theme that God loves people, loves to save people, loves to grow people, loves to lead people to enjoy fruitful lives? I mean, if I were to write some letters, I don't know if you'd be able to discern themes from them. Like, look at that. He's got alliteration. He's got a theme of salvation, sanctification, sovereignty, prophet, priest, king. How did John become like that? He must have just been born that way. I could never, ever have a life of fruitfulness like that. God uses John in a powerful way, not because of who he is, but listen to me, because of how simply he stuck and stayed with Jesus, how he followed Jesus. Listen, John was the brother of James, one of the 12 disciples. Do you know their nickname? Sons of, you know it, sons of thunder. Both brothers were characterized by zeal, passion, and ambition. And in his early days, John acted rashly, recklessly, impetuously, and aggressively. You know any of those people? Don't have to, okay. What do you mean? Mark chapter nine. You know what John does? He forbids a man to cast out demons in Jesus' name because he wasn't part of the 12. He says, listen, you don't have a members only jacket. Get out of here. That, you're, not, you're not with the crew. Jesus rebukes him for that. In Luke chapter nine, this son of thunder, you know what he wants to do? He sees some people that didn't welcome Jesus. They didn't roll out the welcome mat. He says, let's call down some fire from heaven and just consume these guys. Matthew chapter 20, James and John's mother. We don't know all of her agenda, but she kind of, in a sneaky way, says, hey, do you think my boys could have a place of prominence when you come into your kingdom? This is who John is. Impetuous, aggressive, reckless. As he followed Jesus, he changed. I have a friend in the Pacific Northwest that um, pastors a large church. And I was listening to a message from him yesterday. And he says, I often get asked this question. If I accept Jesus, is he going to change my life? I don't, he goes, I hope he changes everything, right? Because when you come to know Jesus, it's not an additive to your life. Like when you're getting a smooth, you're like, well, what additives would you like added in this morning? No, no, no. Jesus comes in and changes everything. And John grew and changed and began to bear fruit. What kind of fruit? Humility. Did you know that the gospel of John is the only gospel that records the washing of the disciples' feet? This impetuous, zealous, aggressive man recognized there's something going on here where Jesus is a servant. John grew in his love and care. How do we know that? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, to whom did Jesus entrust the care of his mother to? Think about that. The one that wants to call fire down? The one that's ready to smack a guy around because he's not wearing a members-only jacket? John begins to change. He grows in his love and his tenderness. How do we know that? Church history tells us that he became known as the apostle of, it starts with an L, rhymes with dove. Yeah, the apostle of love. But here's what I love about John. Also a champion for truth. No one other than Jesus had more to say about the concept of truth than the apostle John. Think about that. 
the apostle of love was also the apostle of truth. He learned in following Jesus how to walk in that beautiful balance of truth and love. One author says this about John. Like John, if we're to be effective witnesses for Christ, our demeanor, think about that, our demeanor, our attitude, should be one that reflects a passion for truth, compassion for people, and a steadfast desire to serve and represent our Lord by reflecting his humility and his grace. Let me put this first lesson up on the screen this morning. This is a takeaway for me. Hopefully it is for you. God loves people. He loves to save people, loves to grow people, and loves to lead people to enjoy fruitful lives. Why am I belaboring this point? What is the church comprised of? Starts with a P, ends with an E, and rhymes with meeple. People. You are the church. I'm thankful for this facility, these 18 acres, but this is not a church This is a campus, this is a building, this is a facility that we are extremely blessed with. But the church gathers here, sometimes it groups here, and more often than not, it goes from here to live on mission in our world. You are the church, and you need to know this. God actually likes you. He loves you right where you are. But he loves you so much that he's not gonna leave you where you are. He is going to bring and allow challenge and sorrow and loss and fruitfulness and abundance to grow, develop, and change you for what you really want. You may not be able to articulate this, but what you really long for in life is fruitfulness. You want a marriage that not just works, but works. It's like, oh, I can't wait to see my spouse. You want a family where there's peace and it feels like there's belonging. In your workplace, you want to know that you matter and contribute. And you can grit your teeth or seek to achieve those through goals, or you can allow God's spirit to begin to change you from the inside out and to bear fruitfulness in your life. That's what he did with John. John is just like you, just like me. Made out of the same 13 elements that dust is made out of. And yet John made a decision in his life. I'm gonna stick and stay with Jesus. What he says goes. Those are the people that change the world. Those that'll simply say, my life, my ideas, my career path is forfeit. God, whatever you want to do with me, I'm yours. What does God do with John? He changes him. Is life daisies and roses, roses and rainbows? No, it included the island of Patmos, as my father spoke of momentarily moments ago. See, Patmos, is that like Catalina or Malibu? No. It was a big hunk of rock where he was supposed to die alone. Just because God loves you doesn't mean God keeps you from suffering. 
The rain of life falls on the just and the unjust. But see, revelation gives sense to our sadness, sense to our suffering, because we know how the story ends. And one of the things you need to see about this author, I'm sure we'll speak more about him as we navigate this book together, is that God loves him, changes him, begins to grow him and see fruitfulness come from him to where he can write a letter to a church that is navigating difficulty. We'll speak about that more in a moment. To encourage them that God is sovereign, that you can trust him, that Jesus is king. God loves people, loves to save people, loves to grow people, loves to lead people to enjoy fruitful lives. But there's a second thing in these first three verses that I want to draw your attention to. And it's this simple phrase. I I just like handles when we navigate books so I can have takeaways from what we're learning. And this is the second one. God's word is worthwhile. Say, what do you mean by that? Look in verse one where it says this, that God gave John the book of Revelation to show his servants the events that must soon take place. Why is that important? The people of God were going through a difficult time at the time that this book was written. It was written in AD 95 during the reign of a Roman emperor known as Domitian. And he demanded to be worshipped as Lord and God or suffer persecution. Think about that. The political structure and climate of the time was divisive. If you didn't follow suit, you were identified. If you didn't comply with this confession of solidarity and trust, you could die. That's the culture and context that the church is navigating. And so what does God do? God gives them this book of prophecy to prepare them not to scare them, to reveal, not conceal things, to bring sense to their suffering that God is still working. See, in a cursory reading of this text, my initial response is to say this. Revelation 1 says the events that soon must take place. This was written nearly 2,000 years ago. I mean, in my culture with six kids, I mean, you can understand the little one right here. If something takes longer than 20 minutes, I'm out, like I'm done. Like, okay, that took too long. 2,000 years ago, the text says, these events must soon take place. And I understand, if you read the New Testament, there's that understanding that the timeline of God is very different than ours, where one day is like 1,000, you know, that, that whole statement. But what does this mean? Soon doesn't necessarily mean soon as in a few seconds, but this, that when things begin to happen, they will happen sequentially quickly, like dominoes. As soon as the first one drops quickly, these things are gonna begin to happen. That these things will become expedited and how they come together. So God's word is worthwhile. What do you mean? When you and I see a world that is falling apart, Revelation shows us a world that is falling into place. 
And this is what the world needs. Listen, have things changed over the last 24, 36 months in the world? Have things gotten a little tough, a little dicey, a little confusing, a little weird? It's supposed to. When you read your Bible, you understand things are not going to come together and get better for the church. They will get tougher. It will be harder. And when we see a world that we feel is falling apart, the Bible shows us a world that is falling into place. See, the book of Revelation is so helpful because it shapes and fashions and forms your mindset as you begin to interpret truth or not truth that's constantly given to us through many different mediums during our day. The book of Revelation prepares us, reveals things to us, and brings a sense to the chaos that's in the world. See, Revelation reveals more of who Jesus is and explains the plan that is to come. Revelation gives us the ability by faith to stay self-controlled when things are truly out of control from our perspective. But also, Revelation is the only book in all of the Bible that promises a blessing for those who listen to and live it. Look again at verse 3. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church and blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. The time is near. So we learn the word of God so that we can live and live well. So this morning, there's going to be four takeaway truths, and the first two are simply this. As we look at verses one through three, we see that God loves people, loves to save them and grow them and lead them to enjoy fruitful lives. And the second thing is that God's word is worthwhile. Can you imagine where our minds could go as Christians if we were not given the book of Revelation? When you begin to see a world that seemingly begins to fall apart and we end with the book of Jude and go, well, I don't know what's going on. But you read the book of Revelation and say, I see God has a plan. God has a purpose. I can trust him. When the world seems to be spinning out of control, I can stay self-controlled by the power of the Spirit because through God's word, he's given me revelation. I can see what you're doing, God. I can trust you. I can trust you. I can trust you. I can trust you. Because God, you're sovereign. Jesus, you're king. Now, in these next five verses this morning, we're given a phenomenal description of God, specifically Jesus. Let me read verses four through six, and we'll consider another takeaway point this morning. But if you're still with me, let me know by saying, Jesus loves church. church. Okay, verse four, this is what is written. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. 
He has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. John sends greetings to the churches in Asia Minor. As is mentioned, there's seven churches. And when we get to chapters two and three in this series, we plan to consider each message to each one of those churches. And then, in those verses that we just read, John gives a brief but robust review of who God is, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Trinity, God the Father. Look at what, how he describes him there in those verses, who always was and who is still to come. This speaks of, I guess you could call it a theological word, the eternality of God. He stands above history. He's not limited by time or space. Isn't it easy to forget that when you navigate life's challenges? When grief comes knocking at your door or there's loss, that God is not bound by time or space and that he sees the end from the beginning. As John writes, that he is who always was and who is to come. See, when we forget that this is who God is, it's easy to turn into somewhat of a drone. Just going through life, seeking to make it through. And this is a bit of a play on words, but you can forget that God is seeing life like in a drone where he sees it from that grand landscape, the end from the beginning. And we can, tr we can trust him. He's above and beyond. This is who God is, the eternal one, the Father. Then he speaks of the Holy Spirit, and he describes him as the sevenfold spirit before his throne. Seven is the number of completion. My wife tells me that's when we should be done having kids, seven. But the number of completion stands for the fullness of the Spirit. In verses five of chapter four, we see that the seven-fold Spirit is symbolized by seven lamps. In chapter five, verse six, by seven eyes. In chapter three, verse one, we're told that Christ has the seven-fold Spirit. And the Spirit of God always points to Jesus. God the Father is spoken of here, God the Spirit, and God the Son. And here in these verses, Jesus is presented in his threefold person. Say, what do you mean? As a prophet, John writes, he is the faithful witness to these things. As the priest, he's the first to rise from the dead. Some of your translations may say the firstborn. That doesn't mean he was created, but the language there means the highest of those who've ever raised from the dead. Jesus is preeminent above them all. And as king, the ruler of all the kings of the world. See, this description either forms and fashions your temperament when someone different takes over the Oval Office or it doesn't. You either believe this, well, Jesus is the ruler of all the kings of the world. So I'm gonna do everything within my power to see life the life that I've been given, steward it in a way 
that's aligned with biblical values, but I'm also going to trust that Jesus is the King of Kings, that he knows what he's doing. You can either live freaked out as a Christian or by faith. It's your choice. But your choices should be formed and fashioned by the word of God. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. And then John praises God for the threefold work that Jesus has accomplished. Look at what he says there in Revelation chapter 1. Jesus loves us. He washed us or freed us from our sins, and he made us a kingdom of priests. I'd like to read something to you, if I can, from Pastor David Guzik on this passage. If you're a student of Scripture, and as you navigate the book of Revelation with us, I do want to encourage you to check out this resource by Warren Wearsby, but also another free online resource called EnduringWord.com. Phenomenal, free, verse-by-verse Bible commentary from Genesis to Revelation. And Pastor David does a phenomenal job giving great insights into the book. And as I was reading and preparing for this morning, I read this and I thought, this is so good. Let me let the guzinator just say it and I won't have to like put it in my own words. Let me just read to you what David says. It would have been enough just to love them and cleanse them. But he, speaking of Jesus, goes far beyond and makes us kings and priests to his God and Father. I like this. Listen to what he says. This is more than Adam ever was. Even in the innocence of Eden, we never read of Adam among the kings and priests of God. This is worth praising Jesus about. We are kings, so we are God's royalty. This is privilege, status, and authority. We are priests, so we're also God's special servants. We represent God to man and man to God. We offer sacrifice unto him. We have privileged access to God's presence. And then he makes this statement. I think this is interesting. In the Old Testament, it was forbidden to combine the offices of king and priest. King Uzziah of Judah is an example of a man who tried to combine the two offices and paid the penalty of his life for it. You can read that in 2 Chronicles. But under the new covenant, we can be like Jesus in the sense that he is both king and high priest. You ever seen Toy Story? I think it's Toy Story, is it two? Where, where Woody ends up in that collector's world. And that like, dude that's in the box that can't get out of the box. He makes this statement as Woody begins to look around the room and see all these like lunch boxes and different things with his characters, a TV show about him. And he says, Woody, you don't know who you are. Now that's a simple illustration that always sticks in my mind because I have six children and my oldest daughter has always loved Toy Story, except for Toy Story 4. That was a dud, but I won't digress on that point. But you don't know who you are, he says. Oftentimes, I think that's the challenge of the believer. Do you know who you are? That you're a king's kid? That you're forgiven and saved and washed? 
And don't take this too far, but there's an element, like Pastor David says here, of privilege and status. I belong to Jesus. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I don't have to walk around with my head hang, hung low because I'm a Christian. I belong to the one who is king of kings, Lord of lords. I've got nothing to be ashamed of, but I'm also a servant. Does that make sense? Some Christians, you walk around, you go, yeah, you know that you're a king's kid. You're pretentious. I don't like you. And then other people, well, I'm just a servant. I'm so I No, I could never. No, that's crazy. You need to walk in humility. You know the etymology of the word humility, the, the root, where does it come from? It simply means to see things accurately. One who is truly humble just sees things as they actually are. Meaning, I know I'm not the best, but I know I'm also not the, I'm right there, I'm, I'm right where God wants me. There's balance in that and confidence in that, but not arrogance. We are servants, priests, representing God to people and people to God, serving people. We're also king's kids. You need to know that. Know who you are. God has not forgotten you. He's not left you. This world hasn't just been left to its own devices. He has a plan. Hang with us through this book and you will learn more of it. And like it says in verse three of chapter one, you will be blessed by learning and living this book. Here's what is so powerful about this. God is infinitely more than you or I could ever put into words. And yet he loves us still. We're almost done, but I want to share with you a video clip that I've actually shared with you once before. There's a fun little video on the life of Rich Mullins. Anyone ever heard of Rich, our God? Okay, maybe so, maybe not. It's okay. There's a wonderful little video about his life called Ragamuffin. And the story of Rich Mullins is intriguing because it's messy. It's a guy who is constantly in process but seemed to be so connected to the love and the grace of God. And the clip that I want to show you is something that so resonates with me about who God is. He's awesome. He's grand. He's worthy of our very lives. But if we're not careful, sometimes we can fall into this relationship with God that's based on performance. And the clip that I'm about to show with you, Rich is in this small church where the pastor kind of has that approach to ministry. Are you living for Jesus? Is he proud of you? There's do's and don'ts, follow the do's, stay away from the don'ts. That's how you live your Christian life. Don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls that do. You know, and then like, Rich is asked to give a closing song. And I wanna share this with you because I think it resonates with the greatest theological truth that comes from who God is. Let's watch this quick clip and then we'll, we'll finish our verses for this morning. Curious about your faith. You need to look at this book like a rule book. It has the do's and the don'ts. Are you going to follow the do's or you choose the don'ts? As Zion comes up to close us in song, I want to leave you with this question. Would Christ be proud of you?
you know, I don't want to be disrespectful. I know we're, we're guests here, but I kind of think how, how disrespectful would it be to not be honest with the church. I think it was the, the theologian Karl Barth who was asked once, what's the most, what's the most theologically profound statement? And this is, this is how he responded. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Let no ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. God's love is awesome, mysterious, and simple. As you consider how John is describing God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, you, you must not miss how awesome he is. He stands above time. He's not limited by space. He sees the end from the beginning. The Holy Spirit is the full expression of who God is. Jesus in his love has washed us, has redeemed us. But that truth, God's love is awesome. Don't move away from that. You see, this morning we've considered three simple lessons so far from Revelation chapter 1. We'll put them up on the screen one more time. God loves people. Loves to save people, loves to grow people, and loves to lead people to enjoy fruitful lives. Number two, God's word is worthwhile. It brings great blessing, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. But also, God's love is awesome. You've been washed. You've been made a king's kid. You're a priest, even Adam in perfection of Eden, didn't have this. Like the spectator would say, you don't know who you are. You're the king's kid. As Rich would have noticed there, he said the greatest truth that Karl Barth once said that the Bible says in all of its totality, all of its theological statements is this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for revelation tells me so, if we can put it that way. Well, let's finish our verses for this morning, verses seven and eight. There's one final point I wanna draw our attention to and then we'll worship as we close our service. But verse seven, John says this, look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Verse seven is the first of seven references in the book of Revelation about the return of Jesus. If you're like, I would like to know where those are, there's teaching notes that I'm reading from this morning available on the Connect desk. 
if you're like, man, I'd like those references or I'd like those points, but I'm not able to jot all these down, we print out a dozen or 20 or so copies of this. I'd encourage you to grab them if you find them helpful. But this statement here in verse seven is the first of seven, meaning complete, get to know this truth, sink your teeth into it. Jesus is coming soon. He's coming soon. This return is public, should not be confused with the rapture of the church. And as he says, the Gentiles will mourn because of him. And the Jews, as it says in Zechariah chapter 12, will see the one whom they've pierced. Powerful statement in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. And Jesus says, I am Alpha. I am Omega. I am beginning and end. Did you ever see that kind of description in the Gospels? See, Revelation reveals to us Jesus and who he is in his glory. He is everything that can be said about God from A to Z. That's who Jesus is. He's the creator of all things, and he will be the final judge of all things. In verse 4, God the Father is the eternally existing God, the God who was, who is, and who is to come. And here and in verse eight, Jesus calls himself the same thing. Don't allow anyone to ever come on your doorstep and say, you know, Jesus is the son of God in the same way that Michael or maybe Lucifer, he's not God. He's the son of God. Open up the book of Revelation and say, why in the world does he say this? Jesus is fully God. This morning, we see that God gives this book of prophecy, the book of Revelation, to prepare his people, not to scare them. Some stay away from the book of Revelation because they go, man, that's scary stuff in there. It's not intended to scare you. It's intended to prepare you. The book of Revelation is given not to conceal things, but to reveal them and to give a sense to our suffering because God is going to do so much more. So much more. And this morning, we see that God loves people, loves to save people, loves to grow people, loves to lead people to enjoy fruitful lives. Let me have your attention. Let me see your eyes. That's God's desire for you, that you move forward in your walk with him. Look at John, the guy who's just ready to beat everybody up and call fire down. He changes them. God's word is worthwhile. Memorize Revelation chapter one, verse three. Blessed is the one. I'm gonna put it in the NIV, Neil's interesting version. Blessed is the one who listens and learns to live the book of Revelation. One of my friends says, you know what that word means? Blessed. It's like this overabundanceness. He likes to say it, it means crazy happy. Does that mean that you're always just like, but it means this. There's a steadiness to your joy because it's informed. It's resilient because it's formed and fashioned by God's word, not by emotions or circumstance or the impact of asset and liability in some sort of column. Your joy is formed by God's word. God's love is awesome. Awesome. You're kings and priests. And Jesus is coming soon. Church. Jesus is coming soon. May that form your Monday, your work ethic, your parenting, your financial stewardship, 
May everything in life be centered around who Jesus is. If you don't yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to come and meet with our prayer teams. We'd love to introduce you to him. We'd love to put a new believer's Bible into your hand, be able to give you an opportunity to start this process of growing and changing and coming to know him. And here's my exhortation. Here's how I'll leave us this morning. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up and just prepare us to close in just a moment. But this winter, this spring, as we gather on this campus, as we group together in connect groups, May we continue to learn and live this truth that Jesus loves church. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join us again as we dive into the scripture, going verse by verse here at Coastline Calvary Chapel.